We're going to be in Luke 4 today. Please join me there in Luke 4. We've been going through the gospel according to Luke verse by verse since early in the year. I've already told you it's going to take probably two years for us to really go through expositionally verse by verse. But what a wonderful book of the Bible. What a wonderful place to grow and learn more of our faith and more about Jesus here in the gospel according to Luke. We'll be looking at the end of chapter 4 today. It has been said that expectations are premeditated resentments. Expectations are premeditated resentments. Have you ever had an expectation that went unfulfilled? Maybe you went to the steak restaurant looking forward to a beautifully medium rare steak. And you received your steak from the kitchen and it was well done. Perhaps those of you who have teenagers now or had teenagers in the home at one time can remember times when you asked your teenager to do something. Maybe you told them you wanted them to wash the dishes and then you left for work and you came home from work and the dishes were still sitting dirty in the sink. Maybe it was you decided you were going to go on a trip and you looked ahead and you knew this drive should take six hours and because of construction or whatever else it took twice as long as it was supposed to. When I was younger, I, I don't remember exactly my age, but we were headed to Anna from where we lived in Illinois for a graduation. And any time we went that direction, it required driving through Chicago. And we left in plenty of time to get to the graduation if the trip took the length of time it should. And I remember we got into Chicago and it was very heavy traffic. And I ended up dozing off. And I woke up 45 minutes later staring at the same building I was looking at when I fell asleep. It was that bad. We got through Chicago. By the time we did the graduation, it already started. We turned around and just went back home. It was just too late. You ever, you ever decided that you wanted to get in a little better shape? And so for two weeks, you do tons of exercise only to get on the scale and see that the numbers haven't moved at all. Or maybe they've moved the wrong direction. Have you ever gone to your doctor for a routine checkup and left with a surgery date in hand? Expectations are premeditated resentments. Unmet expectations can lead to anger, resentment, and bitterness, including when God doesn't meet our expectations. He doesn't heal our loved one the way that we wanted him to, or when we wanted him to. 
He doesn't protect and preserve our relationship with our spouse or with that friend as we expected he would. He doesn't provide for us as we thought he would. Our lives haven't turned out the way that we thought he would make it turn out. And those unmet expectations lead us to anger, to resentment, to bitterness when we live with them. In a blog post entitled Expectation Versus Expectancy, Lori Coombs writes about the process and products of expectation and expectancy. She posits expectation expects things. It expects a certain outcome or that the outcome will be derived a certain way. Expectancy does not expect things. Expectancy hopes It has faith that good will come, but releases the expectation of what or how it will come. Expectations lead to disappointment and frustration and disillusion. Expectancy leads to faith, joy, and thankfulness. I've asked you to join me in Luke chapter 4. After he departed from Nazareth because the people turned him away, when he presented himself to them, Jesus came to Capernaum, where he established his ministry base and began ministering there. And that's what we find here in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 30. We end with him leaving Nazareth and coming into Capernaum. So look at Luke 4, beginning at verse 30. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. This is, he's passing through the midst of the people of Nazareth as they are attempting to really kill him because of his claim to be the Messiah, the blasphemy that they believed he was participating in. Verse 31, And came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. They were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue where was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God." And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this! For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits. And they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. 
Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers' diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he, rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. This passage describes various ways that Jesus worked in Capernaum. He preached the word with power and authority. He performed miracles demonstrating his authority over demons and diseases. And catch this. While the people of Nazareth responded by turning him away, and we talked of the danger of that, the people of Capernaum begged him to stay. Don't leave. Don't go out from us. Stay here. Work and preach here. I see in this text a prompt to expectancy living. Expectancy living, again, as described by Lori Coombs, expectancy hopes. It has faith that good will come, but releases the expectation of what or how it will come. And I want to challenge you this way today from Luke chapter 4 to expectancy living, to living with expectancy of God. I wonder how many of us live with expectancy. We live with an attitude and a heart of expectancy, desiring that God would work, that God would move in our hearts, that God would do something in us, through us, for us. How can we? What leads us to live with expectancy? Number one, I want you to see this today. The power of God's word leads us to live with expectancy. The power of his word. What was Jesus' effect on the people of Capernaum? If you look back at your Bibles there in Luke chapter 4 and verse number 32, the Bible says, and they were what? Astonished. This word is a compound word in the Greek language, and it means to strike with amazement, to strike with astonishment. Jesus struck them like a lightning bolt with amazement and astonishment at his word. Of 13 uses in the New Testament, this word is used 12 times in the Gospels in connection with Jesus' ministry. It's used one time in the book of Acts, indirectly related to the ministry of Jesus. So in all 13 times that you find this idea that people are amazed or astonished, in every case, it's astonished or amazed at Jesus. Throughout this context, 
What astonished the people of Capernaum? What was it that amazed them? In verse number 32, the Bible says his word was with power. In verse number 36, they said, what a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth. In verse number 35, he rebuked a demon. And in verse 39, he rebuked a fever. His word. His word was powerful. That was the connection. They were amazed and astonished at his word. Why? Because his word in verse number 32 had power. His word in verse 36 had authority. These translate the same Greek word exousia, which identifies the right or authority to rule. When Jesus spoke with authority like this, it identified he has authority. He has the right to rule. In that way, his word identified him as the king. Their king, king over all. He is king of kings and lord of lords. It's always interesting to see my children interacting with one another. And how sometimes one will tell one of their siblings something that they should do. Um, Brooklyn says to Evelyn, Evelyn, you need to eat your food. You need to stop playing with that. You need to share. And you know how this goes if you've had or been around children. How does the sibling respond? Well, I don't have to listen to you. You're not mom. You're not dad. I don't need to listen to you. Why do they respond that way? Because they don't see sibling as having what? Authority. But when mom or dad show up at the room, it changes a little bit, doesn't it? Why? Because there's that inherent authority in mom and dad. They, they perk up a little bit more when dad or mom start to speak. Last night, Adeline was sitting on my lap as we were doing our devotion and getting the kids ready to head on to bed and I was holding Adeline and she was content there and anytime her siblings at this point try to tell her goodnight she gets very upset they'll they'll come over to her and say goodnight Adeline try to lean in for a hug and a kiss and she'll go nah! kind of like this last night Brooklyn finally looked and said daddy why does she let you hold her and she won't let me and I said, well, I'm dad. Right? There's a difference. Jesus had that kind of authority. Do you remember the promise and command of Jesus right before he ascended to heaven? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All what? Power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus said all power, same word, authority, 
the right to rule, to command, to be the king. All power is given unto me. The power given to Jesus compels our commission to share Christ with our community in the world. It was his power, the power of his word that astonished people. But verse 36 of Luke chapter 4, you find that that word power is used again. Here it's a different word than power in verse 32. Here it's the word dunamis. It means force. And when you find this word used in God's word, it identifies divine, supernatural, miraculous power. It is God's power made available to his people so that they can do his work in his authority. Jesus, by his word, made his authority and power apparent. That astonished people. That one people. Listen to me, friends. God's word, proclaimed in his authority and power, converts and transforms people's lives. God's word. What amazed the people of Capernaum? The word of Jesus. Because he spoke in authority. He spoke in power. And so you and I have that authority and power available to us. We have the word of God. Inherent with power. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the what? Power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We have his power available to us in his word. And in his word is the power and authority to change people. To transform people. To heal people. To save people. I wonder today, do we live with that expectancy? Do we live with the expectancy that God's word can convert, transform, and heal us? We're all broken, aren't we? We all have hurts, don't we? We all need the healing power of God in our lives. We all need the transforming work of God in our lives. Do we live with the expectancy that God's word provides that? Do we live with expectancy, going to the word of God daily with the expectancy that he will do something in us, for us, and through us by the power and authority of his word? Do we come to church with an expectancy that God will do something good, that he will work through his word as his word is proclaimed? Have you come today with that expectancy? What would it look like if we lived with that expectancy in our lives day by day? What about others? Do we live with expectancy that God's word proclaimed will convert and transform others? Do we live with expectancy that God will work through his word in that way? And how would our lives be different if we really lived with that expectancy? Would we more faithfully share Christ?
Share his word with others knowing that in God's word is the authority and power to transform, to convert, and to heal others. Don't you think if we lived with that expectancy, we would more faithfully share his word? Would we be more consistently inviting others to come, not just to special events, but on any given Sunday to a church where we know God's word will be shared because we believe there is authority and there is power in the word of God. And when it's preached, when it's proclaimed, power of God's word will do a work. If we believed that, if we lived with that expectancy, how would it change our lives? Live with expectancy because of the power of God's word. Expectancy, not expectation. We believe that God's word, because of its inherent authority and power, will accomplish good when we read it, will accomplish good when we proclaim it and hear it proclaimed. You can leave church praising God today for what God did, even if you don't see specific fruit. Do you know that? You can leave this place today. Even if someone doesn't get up and shout out, I got saved just now. Even if someone doesn't stand up and say, God, heal me of this right here, right now. Even if that doesn't happen, you can leave praising God because his word was proclaimed. His word is powerful and has authority. And when it goes out, God works. Live with expectancy because of the power of God's word. Number two, I want you to see this. The performance of God's work leads us to live with expectancy. The performance of God's work. What do we see packed in to nine verses in Luke 4, 33 through 41. There's a lot there, isn't there? Jesus is preaching in the synagogue. And I don't know too many places, if any, in the gospel accounts where Jesus preaches in the synagogue and then does a work and doesn't face opposition. But here's one where he doesn't. The people of Nazareth turned him away. The people of Capernaum at this point at least, embraced the ministry of Jesus. Begged him to stay. Oh, that we might have that heart. That we might embrace the ministry of Jesus and beg him to be in us and with us and among us. They did that. Jesus went into the synagogue and he began teaching and preaching the word of God. And in their midst was a young man who was possessed of a demon. And Jesus, by the power of his word, spoke and rebuked a demon. Cast the demon out of this young man. Just a few verses later, he goes to the home of Simon where his mother-in-law is laying ill, and they begged Jesus to heal her. I guess Simon must have liked his mother-in-law. He begged, they begged Jesus to heal her, and Jesus rebuked a fever. 
I dare say if you and I went to our doctor's office over some illness and we had a fever or something like that, and rather than doing some medical procedure, our doctor started saying something like this, I rebuke you, fever! We'd probably be a little concerned. But Jesus spoke and immediately Simon's mother-in-law is healed and she stood and served and ministered to them. And then it, it concludes there in verses 40 and 41 that he goes out and they're bringing people who are sick. The Bible says of every kind of disease, diverse diseases, and other people possessed of demons. And what does the Bible say? He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Wow. So much of God's work packed into just these nine verses. I don't know if you have seen You've heard me talk about it numerous times, but I don't know if you've seen season three of The Chosen yet. One of the running themes through about the last half of the season is Jesus' disciples, as they're seeing him perform miracles, they're ecstatic about what they just saw. But then when Jesus does something else, they're surprised. And it's this kind of running theme about how quickly they forget. How quickly their faith lacks even after they've seen Jesus do an amazing work. In the last episode of that season, it's the account of Jesus feeding thousands from five loaves and two fishes. And even after having seen him do so many great works, his disciples are wondering, how are we going to feed this crowd? And Jesus miraculously provides enough food for everyone and leftovers to spare. And then they get on a boat and they start to cross the sea and a storm rages. Jesus is still on the land praying and he comes walking to them on the water and they're terrified. They believe it's a ghost come to kill them. And as he draws closer to the boat, they recognize that it's Jesus. And in, in the, the portrayal in season three, episode eight of The Chosen, one of the characters portraying one of the disciples cries, why is this only the second most incredible thing I've seen today? But the point is clear. They see him work over and over and over again. And yet when they find themselves in a new problem, they doubt. And then they're surprised when Jesus works. How often am I like the disciples? We've seen God's work. Can you say today you've seen God work? Is there anyone who could raise their hand and say, you know, I've never seen that? I've never seen God do something in me, for me, or through me. Anybody? No, we've all seen God's work. But rather than living with expectancy, we continue to question, to doubt, and to fear, don't we? Often in our lives, perhaps we have a heart problem. 
When the disciples did not connect Jesus' past work with their present problem, Mark wrote that the reason was this, Mark 6, 51 and 52. And he, Jesus, went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased, and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Why? For their heart was hardened. Could the seeming lack of God's work being done in us, for us, and through us, be a failure to connect what God has done in the past with our expectancy? Could we struggle with our present problem? Maybe right now you're in the middle of something, you're in the middle of some hurt. You're in the middle of some difficulty, some challenge of life, and you're wondering, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to make it? Could it be that we struggle with present problems because we do not consider Jesus' past work and connect the two? Throughout the Bible, we see a God of power who works for, in, and among his people. He never slumbers or sleeps. His ears are open to our cries. He desires to show himself strong on behalf of those who seek him. But is that how we are actively viewing God? Are we living with the expectancy that God will work for, in, and through us? Because of how he has worked in the past. And how would our lives change if we actually did that? If we lived with expectancy, God, you've worked in the past. I have seen your work done. God, I have seen you, if I can use this term, God, I have seen you perform for me in me and through me in the past yes this is a new problem yes it's a new difficulty yes it's a new situation yes the culture and the society around me seem to be declining changing in different ways but I've seen you work before and because of that I'm going to live with expectancy that you'll work again you've revived your people before God you can do it again God, you have healed me before. God, you can do it again. God, you've helped me before. You can do it again. God, you have saved people by the thousands before. You can do it again. Do we live with that expectancy? Live with expectancy because of the performance of God's work. Let what God has done in the past connect with your present context and future hope. Live with expectancy that God's work in the past provides faith that he will work now. We can, in this day and place, see miracles. We can, in this day and place, see salvation. We can, in this day and place, see God deliver. We can, in this day and place, see God provide we can in this day and place see God heal. Will we live with that expectancy? Live with expectancy because of the power of God's word. Live with expectancy because of the performance of God's work. And then thirdly, we can live with expectancy 
because of the purpose of God's will. The purpose of God's will leads us to live with expectancy. After hearing him preach with such power and authority, after seeing him do such an amazing work in, for, and among them, what did the people of Capernaum do? Verse 42 again, I believe it is there, says they stayed him. You know what that means? It essentially means they barred his way. They gathered around him and literally would not let him go. He had gone out from the synagogue out into the desert place and they followed him. They thronged him. They wanted to hear more of his word and see more of his work. And when he said, all right, it's time for me to go, they basically were like, no, you're staying put right here. And Jesus said, I must go and preach the kingdom of God in other places also. Why would Jesus say that? What was Jesus committed to above anything else? What, what controlled Jesus? The answer is simple. His Father's will. The will of his Father always moved him. Jesus did not move apart from the will of his Father. Everything he did, every word he said, he did and said at the will of his Father, the prompting of God's purpose. He came to this earth because his Father willed it. He worked in the world as he did because his Father willed it. He moved when and as he did because his Father willed it. Everything that Jesus did was the result of his Father's will. How does that lead me to live with expectancy? What does that do for my life here and now, the purpose of God's will? Let me just give you a few examples from the Word of God about how this leads me to live with expectancy because when I love and follow God, everything works together for good. What does Romans 8.28 say? All things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to what? His purpose. Friend, listen to me very carefully today. If you are a lover and follower of God, you can live with expectancy in your life because of the purpose of God's will. Even when you're going through something hard, even when you're going through something grievous, even when you're going through something difficult, you can live with expectancy because you know, you believe all things work together for good. If I love God and I am following God, then I know that God somehow, some way will work this into his purpose for my good and his glory. Amen. So you can live with expectancy. You can live with expectancy as you love and follow God because you know his will is best for you. 
Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You can today, right where you are, Whatever your life looks like right now, if you're a lover and follower of God, you can live with expectancy knowing that God's will is best for you. There's no better place to be. There's no safer place to be than right in the middle of God's perfect will for you. Yielded, loving him, trusting him, following him. You can live with expectancy because when you love and follow God, you understand that his will brings hope. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us that God is not slack concerning his promise, but long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5 about how suffering, we can glory in our tribulations because tribulation produces patience and patience produces hope. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that we have a lively, a living hope. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as Paul wrote about his thorn in the flesh, Jesus showed up and said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul said, Therefore will I rather glory in infirmities. I had prayed that it would be taken away. Now I'm going to glory in it, because through that, Christ's strength is perfected in me. You see, when you love and follow God, you can live with expectancy no matter what you're facing. No matter what's going on around you. No matter who needs Christ around you. Because God's will produces hope. I started in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. If it's God's desire that all come to repentance, can you and I go into any situation with any person, no matter how lost they may seem with hope? If you and I go into any difficult situation of life, can we not go into that situation with hope? Because of God's purpose and his will that's best. Because tribulation produces patience and hope. Because we have a living hope. And friends, even if here in this world, this body be destroyed, we can live with hope because ultimately we cannot be harmed because we are in his hand. You see, when we focus on the purpose of God's will, it leads us to live with expectancy because God will fulfill his purpose. How would your life be different if you lived with that expectancy knowing that God's will has a purpose? How would it affect your outlook, your perspective, and your living if you had that expectancy? 
live with expectancy because of the purpose of God's will. Love and follow him with the expectancy that he will lead you and his will will be accomplished in your life. Are you living with expectancy? Expectation can lead to resentment and hurt. Expectancy hopes, believing that good will come and be done without the expectation of how it will. Expectancy leads to greater faith, to joy, to thankfulness, and I would also add worship. Right in the middle of your pain, right in the middle of the hurt, right in the middle of the difficulty, when you're living with expectancy, you can fall down before God and worship. The power of God's word leads me to live with expectancy. The performance of God's work leads me to live with expectancy. The purpose of his will leads me to live with expectancy. Let's practice that today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask this simple question right now. If you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, I, I can see that I've been struggling to live with expectancy but today god has spoken to my heart god has encouraged me through his word and i want to ask for god's help to live with expectancy today if that's you would you just raise your hand all around the room praise god many hands praise the lord for that if you just raised your hand or maybe you didn't but god is working let me ask you today, when the invitation is given, when, when the music begins, would you please commit that to the Lord? Come and find a place at this altar. Make an altar there in your seat, but respond to the work that God is doing in your heart, to how he is speaking to you today. Let's commit to live daily with expectancy. To come to every service with expectancy. To go to God's word every day with expectancy. To go through every situation of our lives with expectancy. Because of the power of God's word, the performance of his work, the purpose of his will. And I wonder today, though this was not strictly a gospel message maybe here in this auditorium or someone watching or listening by way of the internet stream has been moved today because you need jesus christ as your savior jesus came to this world he preached as he did he worked as he did ultimately because he would go to the cross for you and for me he died for our sin 
taking upon him the wrath of God's judgment against sin for all of us. He died in your place, and today he is inviting you, the Spirit of God is inviting you to respond in faith, believing he died for you, was buried, and rose again. And if you will today call out to him in faith, believing that, he will save you, and you'll experience forgiveness of sin. If you don't know Christ, today is the day he calls on you to respond.